0: delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town.
1: Welcome into another episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs. I'm Bo Robinson, and in this episode, Oscar talks to Cameron Mills, Now, Cameron's career at Kentucky had a couple of unique distinctions, including his dad, Terry Mills, who played for Coach Rupp, and then Cameron winning two national championships under two different head coaches. We'll get the backstory on how Cameron became a Kentucky fan and the recruiting process which led him to Kentucky. You will get a glimpse of both the 1996 and 1998 national championship teams as Cameron and Oscar takes you behind the scenes of those memorable runs to those championships. And later on you will hear Cameron and Oscar's animated exchange about one Rick Patino. There's quite a bit in here and you're going to appreciate the honesty between Oscar and Cameron. Cameron had one of the biggest shots in the history of Kentucky basketball against Duke in the 1998 NCAA tournament. This is the journey of Cameron Mills and how he shot himself into becoming a part of three historic Kentucky basketball teams. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Cameron Mills. Cameron, you got roots to
0: eastern Kentucky. Your father was a very talented Wildcat himself here in the late 60s and 70s. Terry Mills, mm-hmm. uh, when did you become a Kentucky fan, so Ooh. to speak? Well, I, t- I tell you, before I answer that question, Oscar, in
2: in talking about Southeastern Kentucky and Kentucky boys, I got I got one I want to mention. That's Isaac Mills, Knox County Central Middle School, 7th grader. Is that right? 7th grader. Where's number 21? Actually, he doesn't. We're going to have to get him to wear number 21. Um, and uh, so he's going to be the up-and-coming. As a matter of fact, Jeff Shepard's boy, Reed, plays on uh, North Laurel Middle, and he is a grade below Isaac. So, and I'm telling you, both these teams are good, and both of those play. And I'm, Isaac and Reed are great, and they both are kind of the leaders of their team. So, I, I'm telling you, in four years, Jeff and I are going to be on opposite ends of, of, a, of, a, <laughs> of, a, of a, an arena rooting against each other's son. Well, not my son, but my cousin's team. But it's, I, I, And I only bring this up because I was down in um, uh, southeastern Kentucky in, uh, in Williamsburg, And, uh, let's see, in London, watching them play the last few days. And I'm telling you, there is a lot of talent coming out of that 13th region over the next four or five years. Um, I became a Kentucky fan or became aware of what Kentucky basketball was in third grade. And the reason is because I guess I had heard my mom and dad talk about, I mean, I'd been to games with my dad, but that's what you did. It, it wasn't a special thing. It wasn't now it was special in the sense that I didn't go, get to go to all of them. Like when the season would come out and as an ex player, he would get two tickets for every home game. And my brother and I would get to pick which ones we wanted to go to. So yeah, I'd pick, you know, dad would give us like five each and then he the rest he'd give to friends or whatever. Um, but in third grade, I had an assignment by my teacher to make a collage poster about my hero, and I never thought about who my hero was. I, I never thought, well, gosh, do I have a hero? Um, and I think I'm trying to think who I said my hero was. I, there, there was someone that I, there was someone that I picked, or, or no, I tell you what it was. Mom, I couldn't decide who it was going to be because this was before I loved Magic Johnson, and uh, Mom said, well, what about your dad? And I said, what about him? And we're talking heroes here. I mean, this guy, I'm thinking, it's going to be somebody famous, right? And I said, why, why would dad be my hero? Because in my mind, hero was a celebrity. It was, you know, John not Paul- family, jo- Not family, yeah, not family. Yeah, it was John Paul Jones in the Revolutionary War. It was George Washington. It was, um, and I said, and she said, what about dad? And I said, well, I don't understand. So she got out Russell Rice's books, right? Yes. She got out uh, newspaper clippings. She got out probably things you had written, You know, I mean, she got out all this newspaper, I mean, boxes of it, which funny thing now is now those same boxes or similar boxes are now in my basement that she saved of all my press clippings, which weren't nearly as many as dad's, but still. Um, And so we did this collage and, and I picked out each picture and I picked out one particular article about where he apparently caused a huge turnover at the end of the game that was going to cost the cats the game. And redeemed himself somehow by making a steal, getting fouled and hitting two foul shots that won them the game. And the the title, I think it was the Herald-Leader, the title of the article was From Goat to Glory. And um, and that's when making that collage, I sat there looking at it after it was done and realized, because I'd always grown up as a Kentucky fan, because, I mean, how do you not around here? And so I was a Kentucky fan, but somehow, Oscar, I never put the connection together that my dad was part of what I adore until that poster
0: now, now, now tell me you were actually born in of all places florida yeah.
2: how did that happen well mom ma- mom was from florida mom and dad met at union college in barberville um the way they tell it my grandfather was up in my grandfather was a band conductor a music man he actually played the trombone in the glenn miller orchestra and uh so he was up in at union college in barberville uh, just of all places i mean he he taught at florida state You know, he, he taught uh, a high school band in Tallahassee. And then I think he, I think he was some sort of band professor or something at Florida State, though I may be wrong about that. Um, And as a summer trade or something, he brought the whole family up to Barberville, Kentucky. Well, so my brother, or excuse me, my uncle and my mom were going to play tennis. And the way, the, the way, the way mom tells the story is she was walking with her brother to the tennis courts. In a short white tennis skirt, and Dad could not not stop. Now, Dad tells a different version of the story, but that's the story Mom tells, right? So, uh, Dad stopped. They talked. Um, I think they were. I think Mom was nineteen when they got married, so they were still in school. Um, because Mom came to Dad's games as his wife, not his girlfriend, which is you know typically what happens. So, um, but after school, when Dad graduated, he got the job as graduate assistant under Hugh Durham at Tallahassee in Florida State which is why no one understands why I I can be I'm a bigger Kentucky fan but I'm a you know Kentucky's my my 1a my 1b is Florida State for that reason because all my other side of the family graduated Florida State um so after after he was grad assistant he got a job at uh Russell I think it was Russell Middle School something like that in Niceville Florida right outside of Eglin Air Force Base in in Fort Walton Beach and and I was born there
0: and then Third grade, you moved back to Kentucky. Well, we moved back to Kentucky.
2: I want to say I was two years old. So we lived in Somerset from two years approximately until I finished seventh grade, and then we moved up here to Lexington right before my eighth grade year for a few reasons.
0: Now, tell me a little bit about your high school career because you were here. Uh, Beaumont was that Beaumont Middle? Yep, that was the eighth. That was and my then first year. What probably then was a new Dunbar school. No, it was brand new. My
2: freshman class was the first year it opened its doors. As a matter of fact, we had to have our basketball tryouts down at least uh, down at um, the traditional magnet school downtown, um, and then we didn't get to our our first home game at Dunbar was the very first day that I mean that building was open for. I mean they like you know they had to do all the codes and searching, and they had to do it in a hurry because that night was the first home game in the history of Dunbar, Dunbar High School, except for the Dunbar downtown in the '50s. So, um, so yeah, it was a, my class, the freshman class at Dunbar in 1990, we got to be the ones along with our peers because it was a brand new school. So even the juniors, it was there, they, they were freshmen technically at Dunbar. Um, but the group of kids that I went to Dunbar with in 1990, we got to write the school song. We got to decide what our mascot was. We got to decide what the school colors were. We got to go through everything that the new school here in Dunbar, the, the thoroughbreds, yes. we got to do with, and I can't tell you how cool that is. <laughs> to what, what those kids are getting to decide, they're getting to decide what, what students 50 years from now are going to call themselves. You know, we, I mean, our cheerleaders invented the first Dunbar Cheers. I mean, it was so cool to be part of building a tradition that one way or the other was going to be a tradition 20 years from now.
0: You quickly become known for your shooting ability at Dunbar. Mm-hmm uh when did you start looking at where you were going to pursue your college degree and was basketball a big part of that decision or just an afterthought
2: i like how you say pursue my college degree as though i had any interest in doing that whatsoever as i'm deciding where i'm going to school i should have but i didn't um i'm trying to think i got my first letter because i'll never forget when you get your first letter from a college coach that's a big deal. Now, nowadays, you know, by the time you're a senior and you've gotten hundreds and you got 20, 30, 40, some cases, like Zion Williamson, you know, this kid out of South Carolina where everybody has offered him a, a scholarship, it's no big deal. But when you get your first, I don't care who it's from, that first letter that comes that says, we'd like to offer you a scholarship for such and such season. I was a sophomore when I got it. I got it from Dick Fick at Moorhead State. And I was on cloud nine. Because I I thought I was good enough to play college basketball. My dad thought I was, but it doesn't matter if dad thinks you are. If you think, a lot of dads think their kids are. A lot of kids think they are. It's when that first coach says, yeah, I want you here. And I knew, and this sounds terrible, but when I got it, I said, okay, I can play college basketball. Dick Fick has said, I can play college basketball. So when I knew that. I knew, I knew I didn't want to go to Moorhead State, and that sounds terrible, and no, no offense to Moorhead State or, or Round County or any, any of my friends over there, anybody over there, but I wanted to go beyond that because it was always about Kentucky for me. And so Dick Fix letter let me know I could play Division One. The next question is, could I possibly be good enough to play at Kentucky? And so that, that's where now we're sitting around waiting for the letter from Rick Pitino, which never came, by the way.
0: What were there other letters to come? Oh yeah. There was listen. Did Georgia, you make any official visits? Oh yeah. I made an official
2: visit to Georgia. Um, an official visit to Louisville. Um, and I wanna say that's it. I had in home visits from Georgia, uh, University of Tennessee Martin, which interesting enough, of all the coaches I had, U T Martin's coach, and I cannot remember his name, he's no longer there made the biggest impression on me of any of the coaches I, I I I that were in my home. There was something about him that was I, – I, I don't know how to describe it, Oscar, because it, it, it's interesting to me because it's one of the things I ask when I have a coach on my radio show. I want to know, what do you say to these kids? When you go in, I mean, what do you, are you talking to them about your offense, your defense, you'd fit in here, you'd fit in there, or are you talking to them about other things? Because this coach came in, and he didn't sell me on UT Martin's – you know, biology lab. He didn't sell me on any of that. He sold me on, you want to come be a part of us because here's what we're going to do. And it wasn't win championships. It's we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a difference in the life of our campus. We're going to make a difference in your life. And To me, it was always about we're going to change our world. Now, it wasn't the world. It was our world. And there was something about that that appealed to me. Um, But I made official visits to uh, Georgia because Georgia, if I hadn't been a Wildcat, I would have been a Bulldog. Who
0: was the Georgia coach
2: at that time? Um, it was a Hugh Durham. Okay. So it came full circle from dad being his graduate assistant to him recruiting me at Tugard. Um, and then I made an in-home visit to Louisville. But Louisville, I recruited Louisville, believe it or not, the same way I recruited Kentucky. What, what I did and my parents – Were you recruiting Louisville against Kentucky? No. What I, what I did was my parents came up with this idea. I was getting high D1 schools after me, but not the high – not the Kentuckys, the Dukes, the Carolinas, the UCLAs, the Kansases. They weren't after me. And I wanted them to be after me. I didn't necessarily want to go, but I didn't know. I, I wanted, you know, but I wasn't good enough to play there. But then back in those days before AAU and, and the uh, online videos that these kids put up, it may have been maybe they've just not seen me. So what we did is we put together a 45-minute highlight video of my career, made five copies, Duke, Carolina, Louisville, Kansas, UCLA, Kentucky, six, made six. Um, sent them to all of them to the head coach. Um, Denny Crum, the only coach that responded, and not only did he respond, he told his staff, "We're going to go look at this kid." So Denny Crum comes to comes to Dunbar, watches me playing a game, says, "Yes, we're going to recruit this kid." Now he's going to be our number two choice at two guard. I would have gone to Louisville except the number one choice. Said he wanted to go to Louisville. So if he had said no, they would have offered me. you Remember me. who
0: that one was? I
2: don't. I wish I did, but I
0: don't. Um, How did it finally come down as far as you coming to Kentucky? How did that Georgia? Oh yeah, it was
2: preseason or early signing period. Uh, senior, my senior year, 1994. Um, Georgia wants me to sign. They, they want to let's get this wrapped up. Let's get it done. And we move on to our other recruiting responsibilities. Um, I, I I didn't want to go. You know, I had, and I had a bunch of reasons and some of them were valid and some of them were excuses, but the real reason was I wanted to come here. This was the only place I ever wanted to come. And I didn't want to sign with Georgia because my theory was this was early season signing period. What if I just had an amazing senior season and I'd already signed with Georgia now I'm stuck there. What if, what if I have this major, amazing senior season and UK all of a sudden come, comes out of the woodwork and says, well, would you consider us? And then I got to go back and break my word to Georgia, And I didn't want to do that. So what we did is dad got up the day they wanted me to sign. Dad got up and said, and, and this is where the story just to me has the coolest turn because dad had a connection at UK named Bill Kitely. So dad goes down to Mr. Kitely, who was the equipment manager when dad was there. And uh, said, and just told Bill what we were going through, that Cameron really wants to come here. Um, Georgia wants him to sign. Here's what we want to know. If he has an amazing senior season, is there any chance they're going to be interested? Well, of course, Mr. Kiley doesn't know. So he says, well, hang on a second. Gets on the phone. Billy, come down here for a second. I need to talk to you. Here comes Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan walks into Mr. Cotley's office, introducing him to my dad. Now, Billy had seen me play in Coach Patino's camp, knew who I was. Um, and so they start talking. Dad tells Billy the same thing. And, and Billy or Mr. Kitely or Mr., or Coach Patino or somebody threw out the idea of, well, if he wants to come here so bad, would he be willing to walk on? And Dad said, well, I don't know. I, I mean, it, would you all let him walk on? They said, yes. He, he could have a preferred walk-on spot. Both he, Coach P had seen me playing his camp too. Um, so they, Dad said, well, let me go ask him. Now, I knew Dad had gone down there that morning. So I'm at school not paying a bit of attention to anything going on at school. I'm just waiting to hear from Dad. And I get there, and I'm in English class. The phone rings, because Dunbar had phones in every room. That was the big thing back in those days. Um, get the phone. Phone rings. I see my English teacher go up, answer the phone. Yes, he's here. He'll be up in a minute. And I'm up, I'm up out of the chair before she even says, Cameron, you need to go up to the office. So I go up to the office. I see Dad standing with a big smile on his face. And I all he says is, they want you to walk on. And all I heard was, they want you. And that was it. At that point... We had the conversation, can you and mom afford it? We can afford it. Then I was a Wildcat from that point on.
0: And you eventually went on scholarship?
2: Uh, Second, third year. Third year. And I I still don't know how this happened because I don't know if coach – why do you have an open scholarship as a coach? I mean,
0: why is there ever an open scholarship? There's always another kid out there that would want to come to Kentucky. I think there was a time when coaches felt like if I put him on scholarship – and then I got another guy coming in that's really, really, really good. Yeah, I don't have that open scholarship, but that sort of seems like, well, I've got you here, but I really don't want you here. Well, so yeah, maybe it's just but 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 but, it, but well, at that time. Was they offering year-to-year scholarship? Because at one time, it was a four-year scholarship.
2: No, this was year-to-year always. Okay. See, my understanding, as long as I played Oscar, I never knew it was ever a four-year deal. I've only understood it as year-to-year, which is funny because fans always think it's a four-year deal.
0: Well, it used to be. And, of course, the reason why they changed that, Cameron, is in the coaches' favor that's that's the only reason they changed and, and things Oscar and that's another podcast <laughs> I would get so so you're at Kentucky now your yeah. first year is 94. oh my gosh they're 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 having a lot of potential yep 93 they went to the final four yep maybe should have won it yep 94 they come back and they get upset by Marquette down in Florida was that ninety four? Yes, that was, that's right. That was
2: ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Ninety four, ninety five. Why, why would I argue with you about about Kentucky basketball facts?
0: You, you, everything's rolling until you run into North, North Carolina, Carolina yeah. and and the famous
2: Stomp and, and Roderick Rhodes. And I wouldn't say everything's rolling. I, I would say we were playing well, but there was the well, Roderick Rhodes fact. Well, and I I don't want to blame Roderick. I just think it was it, it, it was this look. There was something about that 96 team, the 97 team, the 98 team that was different than that 95 team. And and I hate saying that because it makes it sound like well, the only difference was Roderick Rhodes, because he wasn't there. It, but it wasn't Roger. I mean, look, every team's got moments of knuckleheadedness, right? You've got you've got a guy on your team, Antoine, perfect example. Antoine Walker, his sophomore year at UK, freshman year certainly, he was a knucklehead. He was the guy that was gonna, you know, it was his, it was his team as a freshman, his team. One of the most arrogant guys in the world. And what I love about, as time goes on, as you grow closer to people, Antoine's the sweetest guy in the world now.
0: You know, I'll never forget uh, his first day at school. Yeah. Freshman year. Yeah. I'm in Rick's office getting ready to do an interview with him. (laughs) And Rick is in behind closed doors with Antoine and his mother. Of course. His mother brought him down to school. Was getting ready to leave. Wait, brought him down to school for what? To, the first day
2: of first school. Day, okay. First day of school. We had to bring him down the first day in the summer. Okay. We, dad and I were told, Antoine's flying into Louisville. Can you and your dad go pick him up? This is
0: the first day of school. Okay. So all I'm right, waiting, right. and all of a sudden, Rick comes up, and he walks out with a mother and him. Yeah. And he weighs me on in. He said, and "He said, you know, he's just shaking his head. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, I just don't understand some of these times." And I said, well, what's the deal? He said, I just had to get on his butt Yeah. In time. He said his mother said she had to leave and go back yeah. and said as she was walking out the door, he just sat there and said she started walking away. And she said, hold on one minute, Antoine, aren't you going to get up and go hug your mother? Yeah. She's getting ready to go home. Yeah. And, and it, it was just the Antoine, the immaturity. And of that, it. And that, but see, I, I hear that, Oscar, and I think, well, you know
2: what? But we don't understand the relationship Antoine had with his mother. Now maybe we maybe maybe it was maybe it was that kind of relationship where Antoine was just being lazy or just gonna sit there just being rude. But I sit there and I hear that story and I think, well, maybe they're not a hugging family. I don't know. Well, they may have not been, but he made him hug him anyway. <laughs> well, see, he that's made, the point. He made him hug him. It doesn't matter Antoine if you want to or not. Yeah. You're gonna do it. Yes. I can't tell you how many times we learned that lesson yeah. under Coach Patino.
0: So so anyway, uh, at the end of that season, uh, Roderick leaves. Yep, Roderick leaves. It, was he forced to leave? No. No, I think you convinced of that. Yeah, yeah, I am. I think it was
2: one of those things where if you watch if you watch the documentary we just did, we'll talk about that later. That Dick Gabriel and Jason Epperson did about the 1916. But if you watch that documentary, there's a moment in there where Antoine's telling a story or coach is telling a story. We're going back and forth as they tell the same story, I think. And it's about Antoine going to coach freshman year. Spring break, he's giving us time off. Now, red flag went up right there because I don't remember a Christmas day off, much a few days around Christmas off under Coach P, but nonetheless, he gave us some time off. All the guys were going to go home for a few days. Antoine went in to see Coach beforehand and say, Coach, um, it's really in what I expected. Coach's response is, well, then don't come back. Okay. To me, that's probably what happened with Roderick and and Coach P. Roderick went in because, look, Roderick and Coach P, they were, I mean, they were water and vinegar. I mean, they just, or oil and vinegar, I guess the saying is. is.
0: Of course, you know, he he recruited him out of New York. Yeah. And one of the things in the recruitment is we're going to come back and play in New York. And they came back his freshman year. Yeah. Played in the ECAC Festival. And? And he was the MVP. Okay. And it seemed like at that point in time, maybe Rick never had total control of his mind. I got you. Okay, of. I see what you're saying. It could be, or it could be just, look, it's not a New York
2: thing, I don't think, because Mash wasn't like that at all. No, he no. came out in New York. No. Um, Didn't Dre Riddick come out of New York, yes, too? He did. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so it's not a New York, York thing. It wasn't a New York thing. No, it was, it was a he maturity thing. He so much thing. stardom yeah. so quick. Well, and I'll tell you what's interesting about that is when we would play nationally televised games, which sounds silly now because they're all nationally televised now. But when we would have a game that wasn't regionally, like on Jefferson Pilot, but was nationally televised, there always seemed to be a conversation either before or after the game about, and it wasn't just Roderick. It was to the team. Forget about the fact that we're on national television because the tendency seemed to be that guys would try to do too much. They would try. They, I'm on national television. I must show the world that I belong in the NBA. And um, you know that Roderick, Roderick was one of my best friends on the team. He was a senior or a junior. I was a freshman, and he was always incredibly kind to me. Always affable to me. Yes. Just I, I loved. Always really nice with yes, the media. I loved Roderick. I think the problem was look, and you know this. You you were around him long enough to know. Coach Fatino is prickly. Okay. He's not the nicest guy in the world all the time. He's a very, he's a very serious, very focused, very, I'm in my own world doing my own thing. And that own world and own thing is how are we getting better at basketball, right? So when you, when you're around that and he's yelling at you at the top of your, at the top of his lungs, he's calling you every name in the book and he's recognizing your greatest insecurity and shining the world's brightest spotlight on it. That hurts. It's not fun. I mean, I, I tell people all the time that look, he I, he wasn't as bad as as as, uh, as Bob Knight. I mean, because Bob, I don't know what I don't know what that is. Okay, Coach P had a method to his madness, and his method was, I'm going to build you. I'm going to break you down. All these bad habits you're in, all this stuff. I'm going to break you down. I'm going to build you back up the way I want to, Oscar. I played for him for three years. I got two compliments. I can tell you where I was when I got both of them, and only one of them did he say to me. The other one I had to hear third hand. So that's so, how he is.
0: So let's get into the '95-'96 season. Ironically, uh, you have two losses a year. Yep, all together. Yep. One of them was in one of them. The grade was, eight. The grade eight in Chicago against UMass. Yes. And then the last one was against Mississippi, Mississippi State in the SEC tournament. Yep. Uh, that team ended up in – both of your losses came to teams that ended up with you in the final four. Yeah, yeah. Did, Did you sense going into the season that all the pieces were there and most of them were in place? Well, it's hard for me to say that I did because
2: I didn't quite understand how good Ron Mercer was going to be. I'd heard about him. I knew we wanted him. I knew he was the one we wanted. But I didn't understand that this kid was going to come in as a freshman and eventually get 20 points in the national championship game. I didn't know when – you're, when you're a freshman or in that case a sophomore and you've not evaluated talent, you've not been coaching for years – and you've not played every team in NCAA Division one. you don't know. I mean you know what the pundits are saying. you know what Oscar Combs is saying, you know what Dan Patrick's saying, you know you know what they're saying, but honestly, we're told to ignore you. we're told to ignore Dan Patrick. we're told you know don't listen to any of that stuff out there. in here is all you care about. So I don't know if I knew we had
0: what it took. I knew that we'd been that we were supposed to have what it took. so so let's just fast forward to the NCAA tournament. You start out in Dallas, yes, and then you go to Minneapolis. I actually got to play in the game in Dallas. Yes, we won by that many. <laughs> uh, but you you get to Minneapolis, and you've really got four good teams up there. Yeah, talk about that in just a second.
2: Well, the teams were Utah, which we wound up putting out of the tournament three years in a row. That was the <laughs> was the first time. <laughs> Poor Utes.
0: You know, um, you know, I I, I I was on a flight with him in the 2012 uh, Final Four coming Ma- back. Majerus. With Majerus to yeah. Cincinnati, yeah, and was seated right next to him, you know, we're sitting there talking ah, did you and uh, bring it up. Uh, I, I, no, I really didn't out of out of respect, respect, yeah, for him, you because know. he doesn't want to talk about those yeah. three losses. So, but but then he finally says, "Well, where are you from?" And I said, "The Lexington," <laughs> and then it went on from I there. actually write a newspaper about the Kentucky basketball yeah. program, and uh, but it was very very complimentary. He said, "You know," he said it was always painful, but it he said it at the same time. It wasn't got like getting upset by somebody you shouldn't have lost to. It, it's not
2: it's bad to lose, but when you lose to the team that eventually wins it all, there's a little bit of it's okay kind of in there. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, so you so you get to New York, you're we, playing Syracuse. We, we get to New Jersey, we're playing Syracuse. Um well and, we're playing UMass again first. Yes, UMass first. And that was kind of the revenge game. And you hear players talk yes. about all the time, uh, no, you know, we don't worry about revenge. We're a uh, boloney. Okay. That that was <laughs> all and the other thing is I think it was Edgar Padilla. You know, remember they had yeah. those two guards, Trevisio yeah. and Padilla, and then they had Marcus Camby. Yeah, Padilla made the mistake. And this, this, Oscar, it drives me crazy. These kids these days that, that open up their mouth and say the dumbest things to reporters. You know, they they, they start talking out of their head. With they start getting cocky. And listen, when you do an interview with a with a, with a paper with a with a news guy with a, with a TV guy, and you're talking about your opponent. You need to be portraying fear. Maybe fear is too strong a word. You need to be portraying respect as if this is a really good team. That Listen, to guys, this team can do things that I, mean, I don't even think y'all can appreciate. We're going to have to bring our best or we're going to lose. Because where you get that from is your head coach. Because that's what your head coach better be saying. These guys that come out and say, yeah, we're going to take it right to these guys. They don't know what's coming. That's just stupid. Because what, happens in that, what
0: happened in that game is... Unless you're Kobe
2: Bryant. But even then, he hadn't won every game. So what happens is, because there is such a thing as billboard material, and if you're a smart coach, you're using it. Because nothing fires up a team. Pre-game speeches are nice. Nothing fires up a team as you go out to warm up for a game as if the last thing you've heard is, these guys have said they're going to beat you. Oh, really? And that's what happened with that UMass game, is that Edgar Padilla had said, he really hadn't said anything that bad. He just said, we beat him once, we can beat him again. Anthony Epps took took such umbrage with that. He literally was in Padilla's grill the whole game saying, don't ever talk to us. That's just, don't ever talk to us. And and we weren't even ahead the whole game. It was just this constant, don't
0: give us food. And Tony went yeah. off that night.
2: Yeah, Tony went off that night. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so we beat them. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with two. And this is why I say losses are, don't have to be bad things. And if you handle them right, they can always be good things. You. Losses like that, like the first UMass game, the Mississippi State game, more than anything, you start to embrace success. You start to think, "We got it. We're good enough." You know, and then a loss proves that you're not.
0: Let's flip back to that Mississippi State game just for a moment. Okay, there are some people, yeah, myself included. Okay, you were down eight or nine or ten at the half. Don't even remember. I was on the bench, but but I know they were down. (laughs) And I know that he was very, very upset with some of the play of Antoine Walker. Right, did not bring him back. I think actually a little bit before the half, Antoine had three fouls.
2: Well, I thought I thought this was earlier in the game. When did he bench Antoine? He he benched him for the entire second half. Well, see, I thought he benched him in the first. Well, half. he took him out at the end of the first half. Okay, the end of the first half. so yeah. See, I got the impression didn't bring him back. I haven't because I haven't gone back and watched that whole game. But I thought he benched him like un- at this under sixteen timeout. Like because they had. Here is what happened. They, Antoine messed up. Okay, fine. You always mess up. I think he was taking some shots that Rick didn't want him may to May have taken. been. May have been. Um, but, and that, see, that's part of the thing. Big game, nationally televised, SEC championship, I'm going to go off. And they, you should never go into a game and say, I'm going to go off. Always give what they take you. So Antoine does something. Coach takes him out. Says something to Antoine. Antoine barks back. Now, here's the inconsistency. If you bark back to coach, he says he respects you. You still run until your legs fall off, right? I mean, that that's the thing. So, he barks back. Coach says, what? And then sends him to the bench.
0: Now, you were on a huge winning streak. You had not lost. 27 in a row. So, there are some people, and I can think you were down eight or nine at the high. Yeah. You're like, you know what? I need to get this team's attention. Uh-huh. Two is I'm already down nine. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not saying you throw the game. I'm not saying that. But you're looking, you know what? I've got two people to show here. I got the whole team, then I got another issue, with Antoine. Right. I want to show him we can play without him. Right. And then you lose the game, and then from that point on, it's not even close. No, it's not. Um,
2: he, I don't think Coach intentionally threw the game. As a matter of fact, if you watch the documentary, we we do a whole lot on this particular issue, because I think what it was though, and I think Coach says this pretty plainly. I needed to get these guys' attention. Because what what happened was when we lost that game, and I don't remember this part, but all my teammates do, we went in the locker room. Coach wasn't mad. Oscar, Coach would get mad over wins, okay? This was the SEC championship game in the biggest season of his career, okay? Mm -hmm. This team's supposed to win it all. We get in that locker room. He's fine. We're expecting to get just exploded on. He was fine. Not only was he fine,
0: told us to go out that night have a good time. It was crazy. So we, we'll we we'll flip back to the Final Four, and when I was saying Tony was going off, I really meant the Syracuse game. Right, Syracuse UMass is time. when he
2: went off. Yeah. And, and Thank God, because nobody else hit anything in that Syracuse game.
0: Yes. But, but there was never really any doubt in anybody's mind from the opening tap that you were going to win that game. You know, I, I don't remember
2: about that. I do know the game that we were worried about was UMass, because they had beaten us once, right? And we were worried about – did they just have the formula and the, and the personnel to beat us no matter what? You know, if we played them 10 times, would they beat us eight? So I think that was our concern. And I think the good news was we beat them, but we knew, we kind of felt in a way that was our championship because we didn't think Syracuse could beat us. But what's funny is if you go back and watch that Syracuse game, we played terrible. Yes. Because we watched it at our reunion. We were all, for the first time ever, Coach watched it. Many of us for the first time ever, except probably Ron Mercer, who's watched it a thousand times because he went for 20. And when you go for 20, my Florida game in 98, 31 points. I've watched that game more than any other game in the history of Kentucky basketball. So you watch that game and you're like, "We, we played terrible. And the reason is because our championship was UMass. And it's like, you do that mental gymnastics thing where you're like, that's the game we had to win. This is the, you know... I will win this one easy enough.
0: You win it. You come home. First time in 18 years, Kentucky celebrated a championship. You lose four really good players off that team. Tony, Walter Walt, McCarty, yep. Mark Pope, yep. and Antoine. And Antoine, that's right. Uh, so next year, you're looking pretty positive. But yeah. anytime you lose that type of people you're not as confident as maybe as you were going into 96. Well,
2: I think the confidence was there because I think as a Kentucky team with talent, you always had that confidence. You always had that swagger. You always don't expect to ever lose. Um, you also know, and I think this is another thing that that was brought out in the documentary as well, we know we work harder than you, so we know we're going to beat you. And, and and that, And, of course, we lost games, but that was the mentality that – because of how hard we've worked the last three days because even at walkthrough this morning we were all drenched in sweat mm-hmm. right and you all probably just walk through and does a dummyed up place we went full board this morning because we've worked harder than you we deserve this game more than you so there's that kind of swagger and confidence but so, yeah I don't th- we didn't come into that season right number one expected yeah. to win the championship
0: and and, and but you, as a as a season wore along, you saw things coming together and up until. Six, yeah. Seven games to go in the season. Derek goes down. Is that what it was? Was that long?
2: I, yeah, I, it was. I, it was Auburn or Ole Miss at home is yeah. what I remember. Um, and, I, and the only reason I, I remember the colors of the team we were playing against when I well, when I watched him go and down. When
0: he went down, your playing time just leaped. There, there weren't any other two guards over there. I mean,
2: it was almost like out of default. Coach looks down that bench and says, "Well." Can't play Nazi Muhammad at the two. Can't play Jamal McGlure at the two.
0: Jeff Shepard's redshirted. And, and, Cameron, I guess. And so you go with those last two or three weeks. Yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden it looks like, well, we miss him, but we're still winning. Yeah. And we're winning pretty. And we're winning big. big. And, we're, and
2: we're not – there's no struggle. I think the closest game we had after D.A. went down – the next game was against Vanderbilt. That was my first game. And that's when I knew all of a sudden, oh, I'm replacing Derrick Anderson because all of a sudden we're in Vandy and I'm in the game in the first half with 10 minutes left. And I'd never been in that position before. So we're in that game. I'm And I don't play very well that Vandy game because, honestly, I wasn't expecting to play. Um, I'd would con- i been off two weeks from my concussion. Derrick went down in the meantime. Now I'm back, and so I'm replacing Derrick Anderson. It was the next game against Arkansas that Coach, Coach Patino had never won in Arkansas, had never won in, in Bud Walton Arena. Um, I kind of have my little breakout game where I have 12 points, um, help us win. Um, and then from then on in, and, and I'm not saying it was me, I'm saying the team, in spite of the fact that we didn't have one of our best players, the team is what did it. And that team wound up making the rest of the season relatively easily. Other than the Duke game, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I take that back. That was 98. Other than, I'm trying to think, the second game of that tournament, Oscar, was against either Iowa or Iowa State. Iowa. Iowa, okay. So we're playing Iowa in that tournament. Other than that Iowa game, and of course the national championship game, we didn't have a close game. Now, now Miss Minnesota played us close, but I'm talking like, you know, there weren't any scares really. You know, Iowa wasn't even really a scare. I mean, I think, what did we beat them by? Does it have it there? Do you no see one. that? Oh, you don't? Okay, I thought you had it in front of you. Um, Iowa wasn't even a scare. I, I just remember Iowa being um, – Iowa made Coach nervous. Um, and all every team makes Coach nervous. But Iowa particularly, because this is what, this is what Coach did <laughs> against Iowa. I've never seen this done. It was one of the most brilliant defensive moves I've ever seen. Not only did he conceive this plan – he, he got us to execute it, and, and that was what was amazing. We would start off every possession Iowa would have in a man-to-man. At 15 seconds left in the shot clock, we would switch to a 3-2 zone every single time. I don't know of anyone who's ever done that before. Man-to-man, 3-2 zone, same possession. As soon as that – clock, and we would have – Anthony, our point guard job would be to look, look on the opposite court, right, where the shot clock was on the goal that we were going at, know that that was the shot clock. The moment it hit 15, 3-2, bam, we'd all have to get in our 3-2 position, and it completely threw Iowa off.
0: So you go in and you beat Iowa, St. Joe, Utah, Minnesota. Montana the first game. Uh, Montana the first game. And then you go up against Arizona. Now your St. Joe and your Utah games were in San Jose, California. Yes. Uh, From people who were watching practice, Saw no issue with Derrick Anderson in practice. Right. I know the day between the two games, he sent a manager and Derrick and a couple people with him to San Francisco to a specialist. Okay, I didn't even know that. And the specialist told him there's nothing he can do to hurt it. You but can play it.
2: Which is baloney, because you can always just re-tear your ACL. But anyway, I understand what he's saying. You can't make it worse yeah. by playing it. There's no real danger yeah.
0: Now, let's go back to the finals of the SEC tournament, okay. which you may or may not be aware of this, because this happened after the championship game. Okay. And people are still asking, what's the timetable on Derrick? Will he be ready for the tournament? Right. And he kept saying, you know, until he's 100%, I'm not going to play him. Right. And... He gets up and leaves the podium and walks down the podium and takes about three steps and stops and comes back. and So, you know, I know you all are interested in when he will be able to play. Let me just make this very clear. If he were my son, I would not play him and risk his future. Do you think that having made that statement, if he should use him, Anywhere along the line after that, it, and he gets hurt, yeah. that the media would use that against him.
2: Oh, the media is going to use everything against him. That's that. That's, you, you can't debate that. I mean, that that's and and again, I know you're in the media, but the media's job is to create drama. That's what we. That's what the media does. So, it, no matter what happens, you know they're going to find a way to blame coach. He shouldn't have done this. She done this. Uh, what's interesting to me about this whole mess and about this whole thing is that Derek going down. Look. Could Derek have played in that championship game? Yes, he could have. Would he have been a step slow? I don't think so. Um, but two things. Number one. Did he want to play? Oh, I'm sure, Of course. Why wouldn't he want to play? Well, mean, want, I mean, championship game, of course you want to play. I know, it, but I mean. But let me ask Chris, did I want him to play? No.
0: Okay. Because that means I'm on the bench. No, 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 yes, no. Yes, it does. See, nobody I know gets this, it, I know it does that, but you wouldn't be that selfish. You wouldn't be that selfish. Well, what
2: if what if me playing? What if because Derek's coming back from an injury and he is rusty? What if what if I would? What if I was playing better? Well, I wasn't. I was
0: shooting sixty five percent from the three point line at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, though, if you thought he was healthy, you would want the win over any personal. No, board. that is true. That
2: absolutely is true. If if him playing wins us the championship, yeah. I trade that <laughs> three days. I mean, absolutely because. And listen, as nice as it was to have played and done not just played, but contributed in a major way to a national championship run,
0: three time national champion, three Pete sounds awfully good. So it was a very, very, very tough loss against Arizona. Yeah. Could have could have gone either way. Well, let me tell you
2: let me tell you what was tough. It was tough for Anthony Epps and Jared Prickett. Yeah. That's what that's I was coming back and I was coming back off the best season I'd ever had. I was coming back off. I was now the three point shooter on the team. I I mean, I was the. I had my future laid out. Anthony was done. Yeah. Jared was done. And I and I remember. I'll never forget walking off that court because I'm not crying. And Oscar, when I lost the Sweet 16 here in Kentucky, when I lost the 1993 championship game, 1994 state championship game, I was a mess. And I was a mess because what are the odds we ever get back here again? And senior year. I will never be i I'll never win a state championship in Kentucky and I've always wanted to. Well, at UK, when you're Kentucky, what are the odds we're gonna be back in the final
0: four? Well, pretty doggone good. Yeah. You know? So 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 the next year you do come back. Yeah. But you've got a new coach. Yeah. And it seemed like it was a while before you got in the flow of consistent. What what in the transition? How difficult was it? Even though Tubby had been here a year or two with Rick years yeah, but that, early, that wasn't with us. But that wasn't with anybody. Yeah, there was been. nobody on that team that had been there with, yeah. with Coach, Coach Smith. As a
2: matter of fact, I think we were asking. Like, we're looking around the room when, when CM announced he's going to go after uh, uh, Tubby Smith. CM left because what happened is Coach announced he was going to Boston, actually came in to tell us first in a green jacket. I think we knew what was going to happen. Came in in a green jacket, told us he was going to Boston. He left and CM comes in to tell us what he's going to do. Guy, and, and and but what we thought was we were going to tell him who we wanted him to go get which was Billy Donovan, um, he came in he said and he took he listened to us he said yeah I think Billy'd be a great choice he said but guys I think this Tubby Smith can co- can coach his ass off I think he's just I, I think this guy can just coach and and of course he he played us in the SEC championship game I think he got to the Sweet Sixteen NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. um, so he went he went and, and did that but it, it was what what made it tough was. There were some similarities between he and coach, but a lot of differences, a lot of differences in style of coaching and style of dealing with players, especially Um, we weren't full court, black, white, red up and down. We weren't trapping. We weren't, I mean, we, we weren't necessarily, I mean, it was a lot of different things. And I think the fact that a lot of things were different, I think there became a lack of trust with coach Smith because we lost an early game that year to, to Arizona, I think. Um, we lost – I'm trying to think of what we lost. We lost to Louisville that year. We had no business losing that Louisville team. Um, we lost to – who else did we lose to early in the year? I know we eventually lost to Ole Miss, but that was the last loss, so there had to be one more in there somewhere. Whoever it was. Until the Ole Miss game came, there was a love of Coach Smith, an appreciation of Coach Smith, but I don't think we – because here's what happened. We lose to Ole Miss – and I don't remember if it was a team meeting. I don't remember if it was a I suppose it was a team meeting. Well, or along the line. I think there was, but 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 players
0: only. May put it that
2: way. Yeah. Effectively, what came out of that meeting or conversation was, look, guys. It was kind of the "a house divided will not stand" thing, right? Coach Smith may or may not know what he's doing, and see, we thinking that because he's different. We had we'd play for a coach that never lost. We'd played for a coach that had gotten us to two at three Final Fours while he was here. Two final championship games and one national championship. We know Coach Patino knows what he's doing. We don't know this new guy. And so there's just, naturally, there's doubt. And so instantly, when he comes in and starts doing things differently, well, that's not how Coach P did it. And Coach P probably had a reason for doing it this way.
0: When did players finally buy into Tubby?
2: After Ole Miss. Ole Miss, we have our meeting or conversation, whatever it was, and the conversation went like this. Look, guys, if we don't if, if we don't sell out to this guy, everything, buy in, full bore, everything, everything he says is right. If we don't do that, we're not going to do anything special this year because we're a divided house. If we do buy in, we may still lose, but we've got a chance now because if we're divided, we're not going to do anything special. If we're, if we're together, we've got a chance.
0: As that season progressed, went into the NCAA, the one— game that everybody remembers. It's not the championship game. It's not even the Final Four game. It's Duke. You're down almost 20.
2: 17, I think, with nine and a half minutes left, I think, is the line.
0: Um, If if that game is lost, does that change uh, uh, Tubby Smith forever? You know,
2: I I don't know. I mean, that's one of those hypotheticals that you can't really answer because what could have happened is, you know, we lose that game. And and, because, honestly – us, with the exception of the folks who expect us to win the national championship every year, which is probably most of BBN, Realistic, unrealistic as that may be, um, that's probably where we should have been based on our preseason. I mean, we pre, and I hate preseason rankings, but we were ranked, I think, what, 15 going into that year, or something like that? Yeah. So no one expected us to be in a position to go to the final four. Um so if we'd lost to Duke, I think that's where everyone would have realistically expected us to finish. So I think coming back to next year, I don't think there would have been as much pressure on Coach Smith except pressure to continue to improve. Um, I think the wheels started falling off the train, obviously, the last three or four years when I think, I think the recruiting fell off. And I think that's what hurt him more than anything. Because if you think about it, we had two games, and it was here, eight years?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He won one national championship, and he's, he's two games away. Um, Patrick Sparks against Michigan State, and then I forget what the other one was.
0: Oh, no, Tubby's here 10 years.
2: Okay, 10 years. Okay, but yeah. the Patrick Sparks game where he hits that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that three-pointer that bounced and bounced and bounced and bounced and went into this overtime, we're that close to going to another Final Four. Mm-hmm. And then there was another time. Well, maybe it's the 0-3 team.
0: They didn't get to the Final Four.
2: No, I know. None of these teams yeah, did. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. But we were so – my point is we were a a step or two away. Right. It wasn't right. like Tubby was not I, getting I to I the think, NCAA I, tournament. last
0: time they were really close is when – uh, uh, Dwayne uh, Wade went off on him with Marquette. That's what I was
2: going to say. Marquette, that, that, that's the year we Pete won. Hogan's was hurt. There we go. That's the year we won, what, 23 in a row or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So he was close to getting back there. And if he'd gotten back to the Final Four, I think things end differently for Tubby here.
0: Looking back at everything, does it ever dawn on you how close you may have been to being a four-peat champion?
2: No, it never. Th- I never think about that. I think about three-peat all the time because I don't know how close we really were in 95. I think there were, I think 95 was a different team. That wasn't a and and again, it wasn't it wasn't a Roderick Rhodes issue. It wasn't a there was just something different about the 94 95 team than there was about 95 96 96 97 97 98. Those were just three very different teams and I I cannot tell you what was different about them. I don't know what it was, but I know there was something. So, I never think about the four Pete, but the three Pete, I think about a lot.
0: Let's talk a little bit about a subject that's been Hashed and rehashed many, many times, and uh, maybe you can set us straight on how some of it has gone about. But the 96 team, you never got your college championship rings as provided by the school. Right. What do you remember about what happened on that? Well, I don't
2: remember thinking much about it. I remember wanting to know where it was because I had heard.
0: Now, you had already received your official final four yeah, from
2: the ncaa which is a generic type ring it's not a championship ring don't get me started on that nonsense it's 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 it is a gaudy gold and onyx ring but, but it
0: has a very high monetary value on the secondary market it shouldn't if it does it does like Why? eight to ten thousand dollars Why? Be- because it's issued by your great famous uh, organization jostin's Justin? No, NCAA.
2: Right, yeah, and that and that name carries so much value. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah.
0: and that's another podcast, too. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, no, you get that ring, and the problem with that ring is, look, when you want a championship ring, Oscar, it better look like a Super Bowl ring. And if it doesn't, then it's not really a championship ring. And so what the NCAA gives you is they give you this ring. It's not real big. It's not tiny, but it's not real big. It's gold. It's got a black onyx stone around it, and it says it doesn't say your name on the top. It says NCAA. Well, of course it does, because let's brand the NCAA instead of brand the school that won it. And the supposed reason they do that, and this does make sense,
0: is because. They get, let's tell you this too now. They get one to every athlete in every championship of every sport. In every division.
2: Yes. So so Division One basketball gets the same ring that Division Three rifle gets. That is right. No, the only one that doesn't get one, believe it or not, is football. Lord have mercy. So anyway, so you get that ring. And it's nice, but I find it funny that when Coach P got that ring, he took the Onyx out and put a yellow diamond in
0: his. (laughs) We didn't get the option to do that. So anyway, what happened that year is you were allowed to spend X amount of dollars – NCAA approves you to spend. Yes, they do that every year, and I think it's. Up to, I'm sure it changes depending on what I, year it is. At one time, it was 300. Then it went to 350. Uh, 350 is the number I remember. Yes. So the school can
2: spend 350 mm-hmm. to buy you the gaudy big ring right. from Jostens that you want. Right. And for whatever reason, Coach P decided not to do that. And I don't know. I've heard two different things. I've heard that,
0: but um, he did do it, huh? But he did do it. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. What? What happened was they produced because a, a person showed me one of them. They did it. It valued it more than three fifty. Okay. NCAA said you can either redesign it, get it down to three fifty, or you can do it, but you just can't give it to the players. Support people boosters are wearing those rings today. Well, see, I've seen those rings. Okay. Mr. Kitely had one. Yes. Dan Florence had one. Yes. yes. People yes. I don't even know had one. Everybody.
2: I, but people walking you. around Memorial Calls him like, Who are you? They've got this national championship yeah. ring. And I'm like, right. never seen you before in my life. That's right. Um, okay, so that's what that ring was. Yeah. And that was one ring that you were supposed to get as a player, which I would have liked because that's that ring's nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty ring. I okay, but okay, so, uh, okay. So and again, let's blame NCAA and their
0: stupid rule, their arbitrary rule of three fifty as opposed to four. Well, I mean, he could have easily redesigned it and yeah, yeah. But okay. anyway, you go fast forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how, how did how did you all end up getting these new rings, the ones we just recently got? Well, a year or two ago. Yeah.
2: um, I don't know how it happened. I don't know where it started, what the genesis was. But Coach Calipari found out that we had never got them. And um, as a kind gesture, um, we started getting communications from, I think, Dwayne Peavy, who said that, uh, you know, we we heard you guys never got your rings from the school. We feel bad about that. We would like to give you rings. And so, well, heck, yeah, we'll take them. Thank you um and so not only did they give us rings but they brought us back to rep arena we had a ceremony at halftime we got that they announced their names we got to walk out and get a ring and i think only two or three of us weren't there um and uh, i i had to work in louisiana and i could not get I, it was something i'd committed to a long time ago and i could not break my prom- promise so i couldn't be there and a couple of other guys couldn't be there as well but we, you know we had our moment where we got to come out and you know get our rings and but you know the funny thing is is None of us wear our rings. And I mean, even our 98 ones, I don't see too many of the guys wearing their rings because I'm sure for a variety of reasons. I mean, we love that we have them. But, you know, mine go in a very specific place as kind of a trophy case kind of
0: thing. Mm -hmm. So where where, where do we start getting all this clutter about, you know, things are not kosher between the current program and some of the ex-players?
2: I think it started with Derek Anderson. Derek on a radio show in Louisville was probably just trying to be funny. Look, Derek played in the NBA. Derek is very opinionated about basketball. I mean, we all are in some degree, but Derek is very dogmatic, black or white. This is how it should be. This is how it is. And so he was on a radio show in Louisville. I think this is a story I understand. And, um, you know, he's talking about what he would do differently than coach Cal does. Well, he he probably he may not have said it exactly like that, but the way he said it bothered a lot of BBN. And when one person of BBN is bothered, it spreads like wildfire. Um, then I think it was mentioned and brought up, and made a big deal was made about it on another radio show. And then um, and it just kind of it just kind of blew up. And and that's how things happen. If 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 somebody feels like that, someone has slided the university, or slided Coach Calipari, or slided you know whatever. Um, the people that uh, disagree, it's just, well, you just, you hate UK, you do this, that, and the other. Um, I, I went to Derek after that happened because my website had just, you know, I want to say turned on. That's not what you do to a website. It's just been published for the first time. And, uh, cause I was putting my podcast on it and, but we needed content. And so I went to Derek and I said, cause Derek was, you know, he's doing these other radio stations trying to apologize, essentially saying, you know, I, I didn't mean it to sound this way. And I think he was authentic in saying that. Um, so I said, I said, look, would you like to write kind of a mea culpa? you know, put your thoughts down on paper, write them down and I'll publish them for you on website. And he did that. And that went, that went, that went well. Um, and then the other, the other thing was, was Jeff Shepard up at the uh, Ohio Kentucky convention. Um, and all Jeff said was he didn't like the one and done. Well, nobody likes the one and done. There's not a UK fan out here that loves the one and done. That's all I hear is hate the one and done. That has nothing to do with Cal Cows even said, I'd rather have these kids one or two years, but I'm going to send them on when they're ready because I'm more interested in their welfare and their future than I am then sticking around here three or four useless years. And that makes sense. So Jeff said that, and then Jeff also said, I think, what he was saying was, look, Coach Cal's not our coach. Because what he said when he, was...
0: When he says our coach, he meant that team.
2: Our team's coach, yeah. he Yeah, he didn't mean our Kentucky coach. No, 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 no. He meant he's not the teams he played for, That's not our coach. Our coach is the coach at Louisville. And, yes, that makes things awkward for us, very awkward for us, okay, because we will never not love and appreciate Coach Patino because what's funny is he was harder on us, probably meaner to us, you know, than anybody has ever been to me personally in my life, and I adore him. I adore him because he loved me enough to not treat me like a walk-on. He loved me enough to drive me the same way he drove his All-Americans, he didn't have to do that, but he did. And because he did that, I became the best Cameron Mills I could be. So we're in this awkward position of Coach P's at Louisville. Everybody hates Louisville. That's a Kentucky fan. I hate Louisville, but I don't hate Coach P. So what Jeff was saying was, look, if we were to go to a game at, at, at um, the Yum Center, we would feel more welcome there by the staff by, by the st- than we would at Rupp Arena. Well, of course we would. I I don't know. I don't know Kenny Payne. I've never met him. I I met Cal maybe once or twice. I know everybody on Coach
0: Patino's staff because one of them was my teammate. Is that smart to be that honest? It's publicly. It's honest. I mean, it's honest. So so.
2: And look now, how he wasn't saying he wouldn't. He wouldn't go to UK. He wasn't saying he wouldn't be. Be friendly. It was just—it was an awkward way of saying, "Look, you all need to understand that we love Cal." And there's look, there's not a guy on that 96 team that does not love Cal. And here's why we love him: we love him because we love what he's doing for our program. Let me tell you who we don't like, Gillespie. Okay, I think that's fair to say because we don't like what he did to our program. Okay, but we love Cal, and I don't. I, there's not to been a single it, guy on that team that doesn't love Cal.
0: How difficult has Rick being at Louisville? complicated things for players who played for him at UK? It's
2: complicated only in the terms of the perception of UK fans. Because here's the deal. UK fans and some radio hosts can't seem to understand that we can love both. That I can love Coach Patino as much as I love Coach Cal. Now, I love love him differently. I love Coach Patino because he was my coach. He yelled at me. I know that sounds weird so I love someone to yell at me, but he was, he was my coach. I love Coach Cal because I'm proud of what he's doing at my university. I'm proud of what he's doing at my, at, at my alma mater. I'm proud of what he's doing with my program. I'm proud when those 70 x players get up there on that stage. I'm proud when they hang that 2000 and hopefully uh, 17 banner. I love that. He is the reason that's happening. How could I not like that? I love the idea that, I, that, 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 that the 96 team critical of Cal. Where? Where have we been? Shep said what he well, said, but that wasn't critical of Cal. That was critical of the situation. DA said what he said, and that might have been construed as critical of Cal.
0: Some people construe, by you saying the greatest team ever, which is your right and a lot of people's opinion, as a shot back at the 2012 team.
2: Which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard.
0: But you've heard how, that. I mean, Oscar, how many
2: national championship teams, how many teams have there been in the last 100 years? 100? 100. No, 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 no. How many teams oh, have gee. there been? Each team has a different different team each year. There's 300-some-odd teams a year. Why would someone take us saying we're the greatest team ever and say that's a shot at only one team in the midst of 4,000?
0: No, no, you're talking about two championship teams.
2: Right. Okay, so how many championship teams have they been? You've had eight. Because, by the way, we don't say we're the greatest championship team ever. We say we're the greatest team ever. And, by the way, we don't even really say that. Yeah.
0: But, but what we I'm saying that. is that conversation is out there.
2: I can't control that conversation. The uh, The – if someone takes us saying we're the greatest team ever, which, by the way, we were saying long before 2012, mm-hmm. and Nolan Richardson said it in 1996, yeah. Yeah. why would they take that and say that's a shot at Cal? That's
0: no, no. I don't even want to say what that is. That's just dumb. Okay. The, uh, the, the situation with Rick and Cal. Yeah.
2: Which, to me, is about as fascinating as it can. I mean, right now, more than ever, because okay. I don't know what's going on.
0: Well, uh, it, it's, it's very difficult to try to piece it together. I don't think there's any love lost see, between the two. I think that's the all.
2: problem, Oscar. I think we're trying to piece it together. And I think all we, we are all operating with very little knowledge. Well, some,
0: no, no, some, I, don't, I don't agree with that. There's a lot of knowledge out there. All you've got to go back to is read and research. What? Read and research what? Uh, Sports Illustrated 2012. Based on what? Based on interviews with the particular people involved by name.
2: Base, Include, based on based him. on Rick Patino, a quote by Rick Patino, and a quote by Coach Cow.
0: and the athletic director at UMass, and several other people. But but now we're talking third or second person. No
2: no that's I want to hear I want to hear what Coach P says about Coach Cal, what Coach Coach Cal says about Coach well, P. Now if, I will admit that you can say one thing publicly and believe something else privately. But but
0: the problem is is we well, get a, let's go back let's go back to Rick's run here. Okay, there was nobody any more hated. No one hated. Louisville any more than Rick Pitino, even think? Even, even Martin McMacken and even <laughs> Bill Kiley, because they're the one that introduced him. Yes. Again. And you know from your days, it. you knew, if, yeah, but he got it real quickly. Did he? see? I never, but now, every single year that he was here, beyond the first year, Yeah, he was absolute basket case the week of the Louisville game. See, I don't, this is what's interesting, Oscar, I don't remember that at all. Here's
2: what I remember. I remember with us at any rate, now maybe he's different with you all. But the way he was with us for three years, three years he coached me, the way he was with us for three years, he treated every game exactly the same. He treated Asbury this year. He would have treated that Asbury game the exact same he would have treated last night's game against against Kansas. Nothing changes. Everything's the same. Training table's the same time. Walk through the same time. Same thing that we do every time. I never saw him treat Louisville any differently. I
0: heard him tell us over and over again, again, he may have been manipulating. Well, I know this. I know you could go into to the, the cage. You know what I mean by the cage? No. Well, the cage is where Bill Kiley was at. That was the <laughs> cage. Never heard it called the yeah, cage. Yeah, it was a cage. All right. No, it was. I've just yeah, never heard it but, called but that. And, he, and, he, and you'd say something. You'd say, not a good week to be around. That's what what it's I, not that's a good what, week to be around, Mister Kiteley would say. Yes. Well, by the way, I will tell you this: there were a
2: lot of weeks that weren't a good week to be around. We didn't have to be playing but Louisville I mean, for that, that, that was, to
0: be happening. That was that was you just penciled that on your schedule. Oh, that's funny. But well, now that, that may have been because of Kiteley, because Kiteley hated Louisville. Well, so did. Kitely gave me grief in '98 because we won the national championship, but we didn't beat Louisville. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but now, but now Rick did. But it was all because he was uh, led there by those two. But but let's let's go uh, uh, speed it up a little bit and, and go to the fact that. Do you think there will ever be a day where Rick can walk out on that floor beyond being a coach at Louisville and be appreciated?
2: Yes, I do. I I do. As a matter of fact, and and, and look, I could be wrong, and I I regretfully – I don't want to say what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, When people start to understand – look, did he flip somebody off after a game? I, he probably did. I don't know. I, I've seen the video, and I don't know what else he would have been doing. Did you hear what was yelled at him?
0: Oh, I've heard many things yelled at. There him. you go. So, see, what bothers but, me? But, no, I but, but, but the difference is there. Uh, no, there is a difference. You're right. There's a the difference in a fan and a coach. But they're still human beings, and therefore but should yeah, act yeah, with but, respect. But, but that fan's not making three, four, five million dollars a year. Well, to represent rich, the university.
2: Well, how do you know there are rich fans out there? Huh? There are rich fans out there. Not, 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 not sitting like that. Not so he was sitting too high. Yeah. <laughs> look, it. Why should what you make matter? Act like an adult. And look, I'm not excusing coach. I'm not at all. Oh, but that's what I it never sounds will.
0: Like. No, what I'm, sounds like no. 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 You're not. You don't. No. I mean. I'm not ex- I mean. Using coach's Richard, behavior. Fa- what I'm saying is, is that said a lot of things that they shouldn't have said. That's right. And a lot of them are drinking when they're doing. Okay, but, but now, now you, coach, but, you, but now you're excusing the fans' behavior. No, not no, no. There's no excuse for being at a game drunk. I'll start but, that but, right up front. Okay, but what you're saying is is that
2: is that coach doesn't get a pass because of what he did, nor does he deserve one. Okay, okay. there's
0: no excuse for what he did. There's but, no excuse for the fans doing it. Right, but see,
2: no one ever says
0: that. Oh, what we do. Is, well, I've said it, and other people said but it. But you and I, well, right now, give P a change. Or a
2: reason, okay, fair enough, or an but, excuse. But what you and I are talking about right now is coaches' behavior, not the fans' behavior. And to be fair, we don't—I don't know who the fan was. Okay, but I'm—well, I'm there's probably is, more than one. It, you may be right, but what I'm saying is, I will not excuse what he did. But I'm also saying is, if you, if you, and you do know this because you've been around us enough and in inner circles enough to know that we get called to all call, times of things. Absolutely. Okay? And you know, sometimes by your own fans. That's don't get me started on that. So, I'm not excusing what he what he did. Here's what I'm saying is. The perception out there now, I think, is that Coach Patino hates Kentucky. He hates Mitch Barnhart. He hates the U.K. fans. No, Coach Patino misses this place, I think. Now, is he happy at Louisville? I think he's happy at Louisville. But I think Coach Patino, because he's even said it, biggest mistake I've ever made was what? Several times. Yeah, so, but he also said that about UMass. Well, and if you notice, Coach P, he says a lot of things about a lot of different people yeah, the same I, way, right? Every year he's got the best walk-on yeah. he's ever had, and
0: every time he says that, I cringe. And 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 every year it's the best team I've ever been around. That's right. That, but th- here's Coach the thing. Speak, I guess it is
2: because Cal does the same thing. Yes,
0: Cal. Cal. But, th- but, we
2: but, talk about it all the time. Cal is always recruiting. This is how Coach but, always but recruits.
0: Now, and and I don't know where Cal's guilty of this or not. If he is, he he should be. Okay, I don't. I don't think. what. But but the thing. Is Rick seems like he can't go a year without slipping a shot in at Big Blue Nation? Okay, I, and that's fair. Oh, you mean specifically the
2: fans? Yes. Okay, I got you. Yeah, and, yeah. That's, and that's probably fair. But again, and again, and, I, and I, listen, listen. Please hear me. Now, I'm not of, excusing him. I'm not. He has. He should not do that. But what have the fans said publicly about him?
0: What uh, again? Nobody's excusing the fans. Okay. But you're asking me about him, Yeah, because we're not talking about that. No, we've already talked about the fans. We have? And you and I have. have? Yeah, and we we talk about them, how they treat other schools when oh, okay. they come in here. Which, by the way, most of the time is awesome. And that's
2: my real issue, is there's just some knuckleheads out there that, you know, who just, I mean, just will say things but that now, are completely inappropriate. N- let me
0: say this. They retired his jersey, put it in the rafters. Yeah. Okay. They put him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was on. I was on the. Board. No,
2: I know. I was just thinking that they being not UK didn't put him in the hall of fame. The hall of fame put him
0: in the hall of fame. Well, the UK committee. Oh, I see. The UK hall of fame yes, is what you're talking U- about. Yes, the UK hall of fame. Okay. Right. Yeah. The UK had nothing to do with the other, other than right. B- but the B- other one is a bigger hall of fame. That that is right. Correct. Okay. All right. There we go. Except for people living in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, you know, I would like to see the time where he can come back and be recognized. Well, do you believe though? I do, at some point. I, I do, because I think... Do you, do, do you believe that he needs to make an apology over that one exit? <sighs> I,
2: I would bel- that help? I, would that I don't help? know if it would... I, oh, I think it would help. And you know what? I think he should, um, just because I always think it's better to apologize. If, if if I Genuinely. Now, if he's doing it... If he does it because, you know, he... All right. If I do this, then they'll like me again, which I don't think he would ever do for that reason anyway. That's just not his makeup. Um, but if he if he feels like he needs to, then yes, I believe he should.
0: Let's 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 move on to one more thing. Oh, before, I love this I'll conversation. Say, Why are we moving off of this? <laughs> well, the the thing is, I want to go back to All right. when he left the Boston Celtics. Yeah. He was sitting out, however many months it was, and then came that fateful day when he took the job at Louisville. Yep. He had the option of UNLV. Michigan, Michigan right. and Louisville. Um, what do you think was going through
2: his mind? I don't know. I, you know, there's a part of me that wants to believe that he just loved Kentucky. He's into horse racing. Obviously, that's where you want to be is either in Lexington or Louisville. There's a lot of people that think he did it out of spite. And I think that's
0: where the animosity towards him started growing. Because I remember thinking – I don't think he did it out of spite myself. Yeah. I, think, I think what he did is he's very good – at picking and choosing his situations. And picking. When, when he left the New York Knicks yeah. and came to Kentucky. What did he have? Well, he had nothing, but he had everything.
2: Yes. he had That's Kentucky. right. He had
0: everything. Look, he had nothing that he couldn't get and everything that he couldn't go and, get. And by doing that, he was in a no lose situation. That's right. And if you want to look at it on, a, on, a, on another scale, is when John Calipari came to Kentucky. Yep. What was he following? Couldn't do anything worse, but you had everything back in you. Yes. and but see, what's now, he, now, now, when you go to to Rick now, isn't that what he did when he went to Louisville? Because they were in a terrible shape. They were. But, but he was Louisville still, basketball. Right. And he had the entire city of Louisville. Yep. And he said, tradition. Build me build me arena. There you go. You've, been, you've not been quiet about that, have you? There you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you go. Okay, but here's the thing. Can he not pick NBA teams better, though? Do you see a difference there? Because, see, I look at Boston similar to how I look at UK. You've
0: got the tradition. You've got the fanhood. You've yeah, got the but championships. The but now you don't have control over the players. That's the big thing. Plus the fact you have to draft. Yeah, which, US, is, to which when which, you're president, you, that's all you got. I mean, you got to do it all. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go to, uh, well, first of all, your, your, your documentary on a 96. Yeah, tank. by the way, let me say one other thing
2: about, about and I, I, I want to go back just real quick and then we'll move on. The, the Coach Patino coming back into, into Terup Arena and being welcomed, he did it at Mr. Cotley's funeral. And I know that was a sad situation, but I will tell you the respect that was accorded to him then leads me to believe that there will come a day where bygones be bygones and Kentucky fans will be like, you know what, he brought us one. He rebuilt our program. Because that's what always bothers me is that, you know, when I start hearing fans say, well, Kentucky was better for Patino than Patino was for Kentucky, which is just nonsense. That's what bothers me. Well, so I, I understand fans' attitude towards him now. I, I really do. I promise I you, do.
0: You, you know, you know I, I think it can happen. I think that one thing needs to happen. Okay. I think it needs to be sincere, like you said. Absolutely. It would if be. it's not sincere, yeah. it doesn't get the job done. Yeah. And then a little more cordial. Well you – know, and when, he gets, when he gets at a press conference or something, hold your tongue a little bit. Just, just not what well, Now, let me just say this, yeah. and, and I'm very, very leery of this great so-called John Calipari, Rick Pitino podcast. You, you, uh, have you heard it? Uh, yes. And? I've well, not listened to it yet. You know, uh, I mean, I'm more intrigued by how it happened exactly and who called who who? Call who Who called who that's what i want to yeah. know and and did they
2: call each other or did they have their person called their first well,
0: you know you know there's a little part of me and i'm going to pull one of these that you just said i shouldn't say this here but i'm <laughs> going to say it but there might be a time 20 25 years from now when you're a great great granddad and you look up and you'll see this quote somewhere from Adolf Rupp who used to talk about carpet baggers okay you know what a carpet bagger is
2: I, I, I believe I do. I want, I want to say it's someone that, like like a, oh gosh, I don't want to say it this way, someone that travels train to train with a, a carpet bag over their shoulder is well, a briefcase it, or like a know,
0: suitcase. like a stranger who comes in and takes you in. Like somebody from out of state come in and comes in and takes the best of you and you don't know you're being taken.
2: Oh, I stuff. see. Okay, so they're a con man. Yeah. Okay, all right. Sorry. So
0: there might be a time 20, 25 I don't know, years from
2: now. I don't know these words from the 20s, Oscar.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm teaching you. <laughs> So uh, there might come a time where somebody say, "You know who Adolph Rupp was really talking about in 1940 when he talked about a carpetbagger? Yeah, he's talking about two Italians who came to Kentucky <laughs> ten years apart, made fifteen million dollars a year.
2: Oh, oh, they made. Oh, yeah. I was going to say you said a year. I was going to say they made more year. than that over the last
0: twenty and moved on. Yeah, good for them. Uh, but 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 anyway, your documentary. Yeah. how can people? Well, they can see it, uh, one, I've got,
2: and I'll announce this on your, on your podcast first, Oscar, because I love you mm-hmm. to death. Um, first things first, is it came out Christmas Day on Channel 27, WYMT, down in Hazard, about five other stations across the state, and what I'm excited about is it beat, uh, um, ratings-wise, it beat everything in its time slot except the
0: NBA. I
2: bet it didn't beat Andy Griffith rerun. Uh, Unfortunately, we were not up against the Andy Griffith rerun because I'd probably been watching that too. Um, But the cool thing is is it aired again on Channel 27, New Year's Day at 5 p.m., so a week later. And I was told by the powers that beat Cameron, don't expect your rating to be any better. It'll be worse, okay? So just be prepared for it to be worse. It was better. It beat everything except the NFL playoffs. So what I love about that is people are watching it. I'm as proud as I could be. And and let me be clear. And I've been clear as many times as I can on Twitter, but sometimes you can't get everything fit in on Twitter. I didn't make this. It was my idea. I put, I put the tools together that made it. And I, not to call uh, a Jason Epperson, Dick Gabriel a tool, but I went and got two people who I know, know what they're doing and epperson video the the um almost all of the of the uh interviews and then got some uh some b-roll shots and that kind of thing dick put it all together into a story the only thing i did was pick the music (laughs) and went in and argued with him and i said no i don't like this let's do this yeah so anyway so um but it's doing really well we're actually putting up putting it up for some awards which i'm excited about um but you can get it right now tonight Or today, whatever you're listening to this, on Vimeo.com, V-I-M-E-O.com, backslash, on-demand, backslash, the team. Or you can go into on-demand on Vimeo and search for it. It'll take you a while to find it because there's a bunch of things in there with the name, the team, or the letters, or the word, the team in it. But just go to Vimeo.com, backslash, on-demand, backslash, the team. Or, easier enough, if you go to CameronMillsRadio.com. The very front, the big splash screen at the very top, with the, where you see us, the '96 the team sitting there trying to. We're in cool poses. I don't know whose idea this picture was. Click on that picture, and it'll take you right to where you can purchase it for $5.99. And and this is what I want to announce on your show. Sometime in the next, by the time they listen to this, week and a half, maybe two weeks, we will have DVDs for sale. Good, yep. good.
0: Yeah. All right, let, let, give me just a short, four or five words. Oh, I love this game. Oh, this is great. I love this, Alan Edwards.
2: Reason the 98 team won.
0: Scott Padgett.
2: Know it all. Nazi- and I don't mean that poorly, by the way. He does truly know it all. <laughs> Nazi
0: Mohammed. Mm.
2: Determination. I'm going to give you one word. That's more fun. I feel like I'm playing uh, uh, Hollywood Pyramid or whatever that's called. Wayne Turner. Ugliest shot that goes in.
0: Jeff Shepard. Leader. Jamal McGlory. Canadian. Hashimu Evans. Brickhouse. Brickhouse.
2: Brickhouse. Have you ever seen him without a shirt on? Okay. Good night. He's got muscles that haven't been invented yet. Saul Smith. Deserved every minute of playing time he ever got. Deserved it. Michael Bradley. Uh, one of the greatest interior passers I've seen. Tony Dell, Um... It's hard to say in a few words. so I'm just going to say Tony Delk, Rick Pitino, and then Tony Delk are who why I got to be as good as I got to be because I had to go against Tony every day. So,
0: Roderick Rhodes.
2: Um, one of my best friends when I played there.
0: Walter McCarty. Singer. Mark Pope.
2: Even more of a leader.
0: Antoine Walker.
2: Sacrificer.
0: Jared Prickett. Cool Modi. Andre Riddick. Shot blocker. Chris Harrison. Shooter. Ron Mercer. Do it all. Derek Anderson. Do it all. Jason Lanthrum. <sighs> Brother walk on. Oliver Simmons.
2: A great up and under. <laughs> Steve Massiello. Oh, my best buddy in the world. Okay. Uh, Steve, Steve, Steve came from the complete opposite background as I did. And we, we lived together for two years and loved each other to death and still do.
0: Coaches, and I didn't realize this, there wasn't much of a changeover in Rick's staff the four years you were here.
2: There was no changeover the uh, the, the three years under Rick. No changeover. Yeah. The three that I started with as a freshman were there when he left. Jim O'Brien. Right-hand man.
0: Delray Brooks. Um... Trickly, George Felton. <laughs> All
2: right, no one's going to understand this. It's going to be an inside joke between me and maybe one other person and Coach Felton. Who are you? I'll explain to you later. Sean Finney. Sean is your buddy. Sean, Sean's the coach you go to when Coach Smith's mad at you. Mike Sutton. Mike Sutton is the guy, if it wasn't for Mike Sutton, Mike Sutton's the guy that came to me a week, three weeks into practice, 98 and said come here I said what right now you are second to last on the depth chart which shocked me but told me I hadn't worked my tail off the summer before and I deserved to be there
0: back to your entire career here your biggest thrill
2: this is going to sound for those who know me I think they'll understand where I'm coming from with this and those who know what I am in professing to be a christian you may think i'm trying to sound a little super spiritual i'm really not um i got to lead alan edwards to the lord in 1998 which happened to be two weeks before his mom passed away and yes the championships matter yes the 31 points against florida I, i'm thrilled with but i could not be more proud that a teammate of mine came to fca Heard somebody preach and then after that decided he wanted to give his life to the Lord and still to this day um, is a professing Christian to the point where if you watch his Wyoming team practice and what's fun about Alan is Alan doesn't sound like I've not seen him practice. I've seen a few moments practice. I don't think he raises his voice above this the entire time, which is so funny to me. Um, Alan circles his team up before every practice goes over what we're going to do. Guys, we're going to do we're going to do this. He goes, okay. And when he says okay, every head bows and they pray before practice. Awesome. And I'm more proud of that than I am anything. Not that I have anything to do with that. That's Allen. But I'm proud that I was there when Allen's journey with Christ began.
0: Biggest disappointment.
2: Um, two things. In 1997, I had my best year at Kentucky. At the end of the at the end of the season, at tournament, I was I was second league scorer on the team. Though Wayne Turner will tell you he was second. I was third. I, I dispute that. Um, but uh, that summer because because look. Bench freshman year, even more on the bench junior year. And then bench first half of the sophomore year. I'm sorry. Bench freshman year, bench sophomore year, more on the halfway through the uh, junior year on the bench. And then D.A. went down and I got to play. Um, I played so well. And I'm doing my air quotes because it's all relative. I played so well in that tournament that I spent that summer on my rear end because I was complete. Mark Pope would call it, you know, we said we'd say it all the time. Don't embrace success. You beat a team by 20, great. Next team, go beat them by 30. Don't embrace success. And I was so proud of what I did in that early year uh, of, of the in 1997, especially in the tournament, that, that while Alan Edwards and Jeff Shepard were at Memorial Coliseum every night from 1130 to, I think, 1245, hour and a half of working out, working on their game, doing their own individual instruction, non-mandated, on their own. I was in bed. I was out. I was with my girl. I was in something like that. I just completely rested on my laurels, and therefore, I had a, a a more disappointing senior season than I should have. So I regret that. And then the '97 championship game. I, I, w- I would love to have been the only three feet in the history, been a part of the only three three feet in the history of Kentucky.
0: Where was the uh, road arena you best like to play in?
2: I love the O'Connell Center in Florida. There's something about the Ox that is just. It, it is the with exception. It, other than in Kentucky, because you couldn't build an awk for Kentucky, because the awk holds like what, thirteen thousand, ten thousand, 10,000 something like that? It's not real big. But it's the perfect venue for college basketball. You've got the, the the fans behind you are right on top of you. You got the student section over here that talk to you during the whole game. It's just it is a perfect college basketball atmosphere. The one place you
0: didn't like to play. Um
2: The hump. I hated Starkville. Still do.
0: <laughs> Best opposing player you ever Played against?
2: Well, I didn't play against him because I was on the bench, but Tim Duncan, I'd like to throw in there, but I can't. I think I guarded Keith Van Horn for one play in the 97 tournament. <laughs> Other than that, I don't know. I don't really have anyone, I don't think, unless I'm just blanking on somebody that would really impress anybody.
0: The team you most like to beat?
2: Um, I know everyone thinks I'm going to say Louisville. Louisville, as much as I dislike Louisville, as much as I know it's a rival... Ah, that's really near, for some reason, that's neither here nor there for me. It's, um, I can't give you a specific team. Here's what I'll say. I like to beat the team that came in thinking they were going to beat us. You know what I mean? The team that talked trash before, the team that gave us lock billboard material, come in and talk trash to us. Now I want to beat you.
0: Who's the team that you did not want to beat you?
2: Oh, Louisville. Louisville! definitely. I didn't want Louisville to win because if Louisville wins, they got to hear it from idiot Louisville fans all the time. The team, which by post- the way, which by the way, I did. Let me tell you this quick story. I'm at the State Fair signing autographs a few years ago. I've got my '98 ring on, which is really the only time I wear it. And um, this Louisville fan comes up, says something about that. And I said. Yeah, but we got this. I'm pointing at my ring. He said, yeah, but we beat you that year. I said, well, let me ask a question. I said, would you rather beat Kentucky or win a national championship? He said, I'd rather beat Kentucky. I want you to think about that for a second. He would rather beat Kentucky and lose a national championship. What sense does that make? There are some people who actually feel that way. I cannot times. understand
0: that at all. Um, this is an easy one. All right, I bet. Very easy. The best referee that you ever see call a game that you played in. Curtis Shaw. And the worst. Doug Shaws. Boy, that was easy. Yeah, I told you. Well, you said it would be easy. Yes. Either you knew what I was going to
2: say. Did you know I was going to say Curtis I Shaw? I know your opinion ain't enough that you formed oh, a buddy. time ago. Listen, you check my Twitter account. <laughs> Doug Shaws follows me and I follow him. It's not the real Doug Shaws, but he and I have a good time on it. Look, Curtis Shaw would talk to us. Curtis Shaw, or, uh, Curtis Shaw would talk to us. Doug Shouse, he wouldn't. He would only talk to the coach, maybe the team captain. If I had a problem with, hey, he's grabbing me, he's doing this, and I went up to Doug Shouse, he'd walk away and ignore me. How would you like to be remembered? You know what? In the last 20, 20 years, I, I, more than anything, I've had kids. And when I say kids, I mean sometimes they're kids. They're kids that were kids then. Now they're adults. Who came up, and, and the proudest thing they can say to me, or what they say to me is, you lived my dream. And what I'm proud of, and I don't say this in, in a boasting way at all. I'm, pr- I'm, I, I'm proud that I was blessed enough to be this guy because anybody could have been this guy. I, I mean, I just, things lined up for me, God, and, and to me, it's a God thing. It's, it's a God ordained thing, but I grew up wanting to be a Wildcat. I got to be a Wildcat. And not only did I get to be a Wildcat, I got to be a Wildcat for Rick Pitino, Tubby Smith, win two national championships, score 31 points at home against, against uh, Florida, in a loss, but still, um, and have a career that I didn't deserve. And um, I'd, like to, I'd like to remember as being blessed and getting what I didn't deserve. Thanks. Thank you, buddy.
1: For more conversations with Oscar Combs, there are multiple ways to listen. Always check back on oscarcombs.com and click on the podcast page. Search iTunes or the Google Play Store for at Wildcat News. Click subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode of Oscar and his guest. You can always stay up to date with the old man via Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and I thank you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs.